Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this period of Bible studying. Nathan, I can't tell you how good it is to see you sitting there. Good to have you. And everybody who's recovering. We were in chapter 11 of John, so please turn there. And we had gotten to uh, verse 24. John 11 and verse 24. And we started out this section by uh, noting that we were going to be looking at the reactions of the different groups of people. The apostles, the reaction of Martha, the reaction of Mary... And finally, the reaction of Jesus to the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And after the apostles, um, they believe, of course, they're fearful of going back into Judea, where all the trouble was, where Jesus' life, uh, they attempted to take his life. But they believe in Jesus, and they go with him, even to the point of dying with him, if that's the case. So they go. And then we were looking at Martha. She is the practical one, as we usually say, of the two sisters, Mary being the more emotional one. And uh, Martha comes to Jesus, who is not yet in Bethany. He is someplace outside the city, and she goes to him. And her reaction we summarized as being one uh, in verse 24 more or less of resignation. It's just a fact of life that we die. And Jesus says very clearly that uh, he will rise again. And she acknowledges the doctrine that is uh, commonly held by the Jews in the Old Testament and even in the New which Jesus taught of the final resurrection in the last day when the judgment uh, is come. And she acknowledges that, yes, I know that in the last day, Lazarus is going to rise, but right now we're looking at death. And uh, that really doesn't comfort her. That's a faraway teaching, a faraway doctrine, but uh, it's not helping her much in her faith at this point dealing with the death of her brother. And so we come and we'll begin with uh, verses 25 and 26 as we pick up where we left off. And uh, as we said, Martha has uh, been more or less resigned to what has happened. She wishes that Jesus had been there and he would not have died, but Jesus wasn't there and he died. And so she is still faced with dealing with death. That looms major in her thinking right now. Not resurrection, but just dealing with death. So in verses uh, 25 and 26, uh, Jesus is going to reveal to her the reality behind the doctrine of resurrection. And so let's read verses uh, 25 and 26. Jesus answered them. No, I'm over in chapter 10. 
Let me get with the program. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so Jesus is really saying to Martha that uh, union with Jesus through faith gives the believer two things in the here and now. In verse 25, Jesus will have life, and he who believes in Jesus as the Son of God will have life, true life, and the kind of life that's not enslaved to the fear of death. And in verse 26, the person who is united to Jesus will never die, never die or be extinguished or separated from God in any way. Death will only be a, a shadow, something that uh, is just sort of a bump in the road. But what is paramount is resurrection. And standing before Martha, he tells her, I am the resurrection, not just a faraway doctrine that you believe in that will come to pass someday, but he who stands before you, Martha, is the one who makes possible that resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. And so Jesus challenges Martha's inadequate view of the resurrection that has produced resignation in her. So we continue on uh, verse uh, 27. Jesus, uh, well again, I keep going over to chapter 10 for some reason. Verse 27, Martha says to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, Son of God, who is to come into the world. She said a mouthful there in just those few. Now, she is going from intelligent faith, knowing that uh, the dead will rise again in a far-off time. And so this is resignation to her. So when Jesus says this to her... Uh, she uh, doesn't respond by talking about resurrection, but rather it is her view of Jesus himself that changes. And note what she says here. She says, yes, Lord. She says, yes. Not maybe, not later, but yes, Lord. I most certainly believe what you have said. She says, yes, Lord, which indicates her acknowledgement of his sovereignty. She says, I believe. She accepts as true what he says and who he is. I believe that you are the Christ, the anointed one of God. I believe that you are the son of God. And so she accepts his divinity. And then she says, I believe that you are he who comes into the world, the Messiah, the Savior, her Savior. And so for Martha, Lazarus' death was the greatest of realities. Uh, the resurrection was a faraway doctrine of her religion. 
not given very much comfort at the moment, but Jesus redirects her attention to himself as the resurrection of life. And he gives her absolute assurance now, in the here and now, of everlasting life, not some vague promise in the future. Uh, somebody turn to 1 John chapter 5 and read verse 13. 1 John 5 verse 13. Somebody, if you would read, please. These things have already It took me uh, all the way into adulthood before I came to recognize the truth of John's words here in the letter that he writes. Uh, like Martha, I, I was raised uh, really, I guess, and it's through no fault of, of anybody, so don't, don't get me wrong, but uh, as far as just steadfast, uh, set in stone belief that if Jesus were to come right now, I'd go to heaven. There was a hesitancy. I couldn't immediately say yes, by the grace of God, yes. I couldn't say that. Uh, and I think our brother Blackwell really addressed that uh, when he was with us a couple of weeks ago of uh, the meaning of Jesus' words. We can know, Jesus says that here in the first John 5 passage. We can know these things are written that you may know right here and now that you have, present tense, everlasting life. And when that really broke through my consciousness and I began to understand and believe that, uh, it has done wonders in, in our efforts to do evangelism, personal evangelism. Because logically, when you think about it, how can we expect to convert somebody to Christ if we're not absolutely sure ourselves that, that we are going to heaven if we were to have an accident right now or die right now? You've got to have that assurance, and that assurance has to come forth and radiate and uh, demonstrate itself for anyone that, that we're trying to convert to Christ. You need to become a Christian to wash away your sins so that you may know that no matter what, if you continue faithful and walking in the light, you're going to heaven. And it's not a braggadocious thing to say, yes, I'm going to heaven. It's really a reflection of what Jesus has blessed us with, blessed assurance. And that's what we have. And that's what Jesus is saying, Martha, you have this assurance right here and now, and it should comfort you in this moment of grief. But then very quickly, let's go on to verses uh, 28 through 37 in the text. And let's look at Mary now. We'll begin with looking at verses 28 through 31. And when she had said these things, Martha, 
She went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. So Martha goes and gets Mary and sends her to Jesus and others follow. Uh, Some have looked at the idea here of it being done in secret. Uh, Verse 28, uh, Martha went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister. I don't really know the significance of that. I don't see anything here to indicate that Jesus instructed her to keep it a secret. And perhaps uh, knowing what the situation was, the danger that Jesus would be facing by coming back into the area, maybe that was her motive for secretly not wanting it to be known to everybody that Jesus is here and uh, I'm going to see him now. So it shouldn't bother us that the idea of secretly here uh, is injected. But uh, Mary now goes and others follow her thinking that she's going to the grave uh, to mourn. Now, Mary's reaction uh, to Jesus is similar to Martha's, but her reaction to Lazarus' death was one of sorrow. She uh, is not just uh, reasonable and resigned to the fact that her brother has died. She's crushed. She's just crushed. And that's her reaction. The ones that followed her also are weeping. And so notice that uh, Jesus' reaction to Mary uh, was one of human emotion. Let's uh, pick back up with verse 33. Uh, Let's just read beginning with verse uh, 32. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit, a New King James translation, and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So Jesus' initial reaction was his home human emotion. If ever there was a place uh, 
that shows that in Jesus' interpersonal relationships that he was fully man just as he was fully God. I think it's here. Jesus is moved to tears. He cries. Here is Mary, one of a family that is very dear to Jesus and close to Jesus. And she's saying, Lord, if, if only you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And she's crushed. And the humanity of Jesus, he struggles. Have you ever been so emotionally moved, but maybe you're in a public place and you're not wanting just to open, and you struggle with yourself trying to keep your emotion in check? I think maybe that was the case here. Here is Mary. Here are the ones that have followed her out there. And Jesus is trying to, to keep his emotions in check, but he has real human emotion. Just this past week, we got word that two people who we know uh, passed away. Uh, one very close to us and uh, the other uh, a long-standing relation with, with him. And it, it, you didn't see it coming. One was unexpected. The other was uh, more or less expected. But still, when it comes, and that person is no longer in the world with you, and you think back over all the times that you have had together with this person, it moves you. And it says here that, that Jesus uh, groaned in the Spirit, and he was troubled. So this was not easy for Jesus. This was not just an easy... Excellent opportunity to perform a miracle to convince people of his divinity. He was deeply moved. And this is our high priest that we have as our advocate in heaven. And isn't that a relief? One who knows every emotion, every temptation that we endure, and who has gone through it himself. He's the one pleading our case before God. Isn't that a good thought? Well, Jesus cried here. He wept. Not just sniffling. Uh, I can visualize tears running down, dropping off. Jesus was every bit a man. I think he was a man's man. Growing up in the carpenter shop, with no power tools like we've got. Imagine he had calloused hands. I imagine he had muscles. He was a, a strong man to overthrow the tables and the money changers, tables in the temple. Years ago, when Kay and I were at Harding, uh, I had a professor Avon Malone, I don't know if you have ever heard of him. He's more known in the Brotherhood west of the Mississippi. 
But uh, he was eloquent. He was uh, a man's man. Even though he was in his 40s and 50s when we were there, he would go one-on-one with you on the court and beat you. That was the kind of physical person he was. He taught Philippians, which was his favorite book. It's my favorite book in the scriptures. When you come to chapter 2, the emptying passage, uh, telling us how that Jesus left equality with God on high to come to earth in the form of a servant to die for us on the cross. And I still remember, I can still see him standing before us. This great man of faith and physically, he came to this point where he said that Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped and held on to tenaciously, but he let it go so that you and I could have eternal life. And he came to that section and he lost it. Very awkward. He stood up there and he went silent. And he just kept his face looking down at his Bible. And big old tears began to well up and run down and drop off his chin. And there was just stone silence. And it seemed like an eternity, but uh, after several seconds, he regained his composure and started again. When Jesus wasn't ashamed, he tried to keep it in check. But he let his emotion show. He cried. It wasn't the first time that he cried. In Luke 13, he cried over Jerusalem because of their rejection of him. And then I believe Hebrews 5 is really speaking of the garden of Gethsemane before his death, where it says that uh, he sent up prayers to God with cries. I believe he wept there as he prayed to God. And so this is Mary's reaction to Lazarus' death. Uh, she's crushed. And Jesus shows, and he tries to comfort her. And I believe his physical display of uh, emotion was in itself a comfort to her. And the others said, see how... He loved him. But then very quickly as as we go on, we come down to verse 38. And we're going to look at Jesus's, or rather God's, reaction to the death of Lazarus and his resurrection. We'll look at verses 38 through 40. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead uh, four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So Martha's faith weakens because she's once again 
uh, faced with the reality of death itself, of the smell. I, I've never smell, had occasion to smell human death. But of course we all have with death of animals that has been out, it's a stench. And this was what would be evident if the stone is rolled away. So this is really true of, of our own selves. Even our strong faith, uh, still when we come to the moment of death, we struggle a little bit at least, trying to come to grips with it. But Jesus reaffirms her faith, Mary's, to encourage her to believe despite the doubt that she experiences when facing the reality of death. And we are encouraged by God's word and by Jesus himself to believe in the resurrection with all assurance, knowing that uh, that's what really matters in times of death, death of loved ones or anyone, resurrection. We come to verses 41 through 42. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus prays aloud with his eyes lifted up to heaven. Everybody hears him. Those people who had followed Mary... They hear him. And so he says to God, I'm saying this so that they may know that this is your working and that you sent me. Uh, this is how God reacts to death. Not with fear like the apostles and not with resignation like Martha or with sorrow like Mary, but with power. One who has authority. And then verse 43 and 44. I can find it. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Of course, skeptics will point to this and say, No, wait a minute. We know how the Jews prepared their dead and the wrapping the body with uh, strips of cloth and the things that they put inside of it and the perfume and everything. So how is Lazarus going to just raise up and start walking out of the tomb? But you notice the scriptures doesn't say that when Jesus said, Lazarus, walk out. He didn't say to Lazarus, walk out. He said, come forth. 
So we don't know. But Jesus, through God, who had the power to actually raise him from the dead, caused him to come forth. And we don't know exactly how it was. We know he still had the grave clothes on because Jesus gave the command, take all of the bandages off so that he can go. But he came forth when God gave that command, come forth. And one of these days we're going to hear a great trumpet and all those who are in the graves will come forth. And we will meet God. We will meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with him. And we will be with him in paradise. In the meantime. And on that great day. When we hear the words. You have been faithful over a few things. Now enter into the kingdom of your father. If he hadn't said Lazarus, come forth, everybody would come forth. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've read that too. That's a, that's a good point. So he has it. Lazarus, you, I'm talking to you. Come forth. <laughs> this, this, when he raised Lazarus, um, when he came out of the grave, he had all the, all the scripture. And that faith covered him. When Jesus was raised, right. everything was set aside. Yes, yes. Good point. Very good point. Well, let's look at verses uh, 45 and 46. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things that Jesus did believed in him, but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. It never ends. And here is the same refrain that we have seen time and time again. Some believe and many disbelieve. It's hard for us to imagine how anybody in, in the face of such miracles. Now this wasn't just uh, a lame man walking again or a blind man from birth seeing. This was a person that somehow was dead four days in a tomb coming forth and alive. And yet some disbelieve and they go to the Pharisees. You'll never believe what Jesus did this time. And they tell them. And then the rest of the chapter is about the reaction of uh, the Jews the leaders primarily, to this miracle of Jesus. And so we look then at verses 47 and 48. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and the nation. 
So that, that shows the, the motive there. Of course, we've known it all along. They acknowledge the miracle. I mean, how could they deny it? Well, the witnesses? Um, every miracle that Jesus did was verified by those who actually saw it firsthand. And these who came back and gave the report to the leaders were there. They had followed Mary. They must have been close to this family for them to be in this company and they want to be comforting Mary and, and uh, Martha in the loss of their brother. So it, it causes you to wonder if, if they were this close to this righteous family, how could they not believe like many others did? How could they have in their heart to report this to Jesus' enemies? I don't know. Uh, we're humans. Might have been a money reward. It could have been. We don't know. But anyway, some left this scene, left the tomb, and reported it. And they acknowledge, yes, we know that he did it. What are we going to do, though? With the raising of the dead, there's no, there's no telling how many people's going to turn and start following it. We've got to do something. We've been talking about it for all of these months that we need to kill him. And now this, we've got to do something. We've got to find a charge that will, will hold up in semblance as a, a justification and we've got to do it. If we don't, here comes the Romans. They're not only going to take away our, our nation, they're going to do away with our position that the Romans have allowed them to keep until now. So that's where their hearts were. Themselves. Yeah. With the word. He could call the legions of angels. Right. So they didn't even really understand their own um, um, the, the, the word of God. Yeah. Because they have. They would have known, okay, well, God, Messiah, right. My, my take on that is that how could they not see that this man, Jesus, from Nazareth was fitting all the criteria of the prophets. I think it boils down to that he's not the kind of Messiah that they were expecting and wanted. Priestly, kingly, a leader that's going to bring back the glory of Israel, overcome Rome. This man from Nazareth, yeah, he meets all the qualifications, but... What kind of Messiah is he? I mean, we're proud Jews. I don't know. Uh, we just see humanity bubbling forth here in all of its uh, uh, faults and problems. They wanted freedom from Rome, but since he wasn't going to offer that to him as a king, well, we'll give him to Rome. That's true. So let's look at verses... Uh, 49 through 53. 
And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. And uh, 53. And from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. So despite their evil intent, still God used them for his work, for his purposes. And he prophesied in the most uh, uh, closest understanding in a physical way that if we're going to maintain our physical nation and our position in this nation, uh, this man's got to die. So it's better that uh, we put this man to death. Uh, we're justified in killing him because, look, if we don't, we're going to lose everything. So we've got to kill him, therefore saving our nation. But really it was the prophecy of Christ the Messiah who would die for everybody in the world and offer the possibility of salvation through obedience. And so, really, this is uh, something that we see over and over again, especially in the Old Testament, where God in His providence, in the natural course of things, how that God can use people, emperors, kings of nations who are doing harm to God's people, but use it for God's glory to punish Israel, to discipline them, to bring them to, uh, to faith again. Not that God just, you know, like a robot moved them, but in God's providence, just like here with Caiaphas, uh, he accomplishes his purpose. So very quickly we'll begin with uh, verse 54 and finish up. Uh, or, yeah. So Jesus no longer walked. Uh, you can read those last few verses since the buzzer has already gone off. But Jesus uh, wouldn't walk, walk openly there again. Very soon, he will be back with his uh, apostles in the area the night before his uh, crucifixion. And that's drawing near. Uh, thank you. Uh, Lord willing, we'll continue with chapter 12 uh, next week. Thank you for your comments and your attention.